And I do trust you realise that being able to sing has absolutely no survival value at all. <laughs> I say that because, you see, it's a question that most people never get around to even thinking of. The artistic, the beautiful things, actually, you could probably live just as well without them. But what a joy they make in not only celebrating God's goodness and greatness, but that they add pleasure to the, the world you hear and the artistry, the world that you see, and it is a delight to hear people sing beautiful praises to the Lord. Okay, now we've got a couple of interesting things to do, probably two or three sections here on the subject they've asked me to do with, deal with, which is a bird's eye view of creation and, uh, and a question time. So are you ready for all the above? Good. I have to ask young Greg if he will come out here. So Greg, would you like to get yourself up? There you are. Now, Greg, uh, you're not going to sing us a song, are you? No. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. Um, I'll tell you what, you and I have interacted about this, haven't we? Yes, we have. Okay, yes. there you are. Hold it. What is it? It's a boomerang. It's a boomerang. Now, let's see if you learned anything, because we've been uh, doing stuff for the Young People's YouTube, correct? That's true, yes. Okay. Do you remember what Aboriginal tribe the word boomerang comes from? <laughs> no. <laughs> I haven't. Well, we probably didn't major on that, did we, Greg? No. But you see, it's a word that the English have borrowed and spread all around the globe from the tribe where they first saw this down outside of Sydney. It's a Turawell or a Durawell word borrowed into English and spread all over the globe and back again. Isn't that true? Because that boomerang, what's it famous for, Greg? Coming back to you on your throat. Coming back, that's right. And I'll tell you what, there are other boomerangs that don't come back and Greg and I met uh, here one night. We met somewhere. Where was it? Around yeah, here? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was here. That's right. And, and, and we did some video production for the young people. And so we're going to play maybe five or ten minutes of a video that we did yep. for the youth. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and you can just sort of sit down in the front and I'll interview you afterwards as well. So, okay. Over to you guys up the back. Well, welcome back, guys. Um, this is part two now. And... Looks like we've uh, got a few more things coming along. We've got some boomerangs, it looks like. What, what have we got here, Mr. McCoy? Well, there you go. Take that. Very nice. Now, now give it back. <laughs> <laughs> My boomerang did come back. <laughs> uh, so uh, that, that's, that's what the word boomerang means, doesn't it? Yeah, it comes back. Okay, but let's run a test, Greg. You see, yeah. the Bible says the whole of creation declares the power and, pre and presence of God. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll hand this to you again. Yep. But handing boomerangs around is not much of an art form. What do they do with them? Throw them. Who? Uh, indigenous people. Indigenous. What do you mean by indigenous? Um, oh, are we talking about indigenous Americans? Indigenous Australians. Indigenous uh, Australians. Are you sure about that? I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. Okay, well, I know you went to a moderately good school, but they did need to improve their education in <laughs> Australia. You see, the interesting thing is that's what I thought. I grew up here in Australia, and I was pretty sure that my, my boomerang was designed by Australian Aborigines and they all had them and they were exclusive to Australia. Well, you can watch some of our videos like Origin of Races or Real Roots or History of Man and you'll see me in one section there, I'm visiting the, the British Museum. In fact, I actually paid a thousand pound an hour to actually get permission to look at Tutankhamun's stuff. You know that boy king who was found buried in gold and all that, a thousand pounds, that's a lot of money 20 yeah. years ago, I tell you, it's a lot of money today. Yeah. And uh, anyway, um, do you know what he had buried in his tomb? You tell me. Boomerangs. Really? Boomerangs, yeah. Throwing ones. Oh, by the way, this is a throwing one. You hold that, Greg. Now, you yeah, could use wow. that to dig things up, correct? Yeah, you could. So it's very evident that that's a different shape than this. Yeah, very. Yeah. So you have boomerangs which are different shapes. But normally, for that one there, you would use it for killing things. Mm. I mean, you can see it would work real well. Just yeah. lay your head down there, yeah. boom. Right? <laughs> or, or if I want to dig something up, I could use yeah. that for digging up roots or, mm -hmm. or little shells or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So that's known as a killing stick or a non-returning boomerang. So as I like to tell people, if you see an Aboriginal man with one of these 
and he's pointing it in your direction, <laughs> then either run or duck or hide. <laughs> this one is not designed to come back. This one is. And in fact, can I encourage you, um, go to Tutankhamun's tomb or have a look at the Egyptian um, tombs and monuments and things and surprise, surprise, you'll see they've got boomerangs. Hmm. Now, did they all return? No. They definitely had killing sticks too. You can see the soldiers walking along with sticks like this. After all, in a world that didn't have guns, what better than a stick that you could throw accurately and it didn't need to come back because it was embedded between somebody's eyeballs. Yeah. Um, these killing sticks are pretty impressive. Now, I'll tell you what, um, you're not sure now the boomerangs were embedded in Australia. Yeah, I'm yeah. wondering. In now. fact, if I could ask you, Greg, mm. where in Australia were boomerangs actually found? I have no idea. Yeah. Isn't your history interesting? Yeah. You know, I go to England, I work in the schools there, and I discover that most of them think history began with the Beatles. Yeah. Or at the yeah. very most, World War Two. Yeah. Right? Um, they don't know anything much before that. They don't know that even Tutankhamun, whose tomb has been on display mm. and all the contents for 50, 60 years now. Mm. I'll tell you what, he had boomerangs. Mm. And in fact, what's interesting, well, here's a verse. See if you can finish it off. Mm -hmm. You see, Greg believes the Bible is God's word. I believe the Bible is God's word. If you don't know what you can believe, then can I encourage you to listen carefully to a statement out of the Bible? Jesus said you'd be judged by the words out of your own mouth. mouth. You say that louder. You'd be judged by the words out of your own mouth. Look look it up sometimes. It's easy to find verses on the Bible. You don't even have to have a Bible. Just use your iPhone. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what. You have no excuse today for not knowing what the Bible says. And Jesus, quote unquote, said you'd be judged by the words out of your own mouth. All right. Now, does that remind you of any letters? L. L, upside down, correct? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Letters. A, B, C, D, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. What do we call the arrangement of letters? The alphabet. Why? So far, he scored two out of one. Yeah. Uh, sorry, none out of two. Yeah. Okay, I'm being generous. Uh, we call it the alphabet, but why? Because we've borrowed many of our sayings, our letters, our words from languages like Roman, Latin, or Greek. So if you did the Boy Scouts like when I did, we had to learn a few of the Greek terms. And so the first two letters of Greek are alpha, beta, mm. right? Out of which we get alpha, bet, right? And if you have a look at the connection of that to Hebrew, in fact, why would I be interested in Hebrew? What part of the Bible is in Hebrew? Do you remember? Some of the New Testament, isn't it? New Testament, Old Testament. Yeah. Well, three out of three is not not, not doing very well, there, Greg. We'll, we'll run a refresher uh, course for you. Yeah. But it is fun, isn't it? I'll tell you what. When you have a look at the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, all the way through to the last verse of the Old Testament is in Hebrew. But when you look at the first two letters in Hebrew, it's Aleph and Bet. Right? So there's no doubt about Greek and Hebrew are connected. And in fact, Alpha, Beta. Do you, do you remember the next letter in the Greek alphabet? Gamma. Alpha, Beta, Gamma. That's right. Okay. I, I decided to do a little assignment recently because... I was asked to do a program on the giants. You know the giants in Genesis chapter 6 just before the flood? The sons of God saw the daughters of men. Boy, that's an interesting study. We'll have to do that sometime. Mm -hmm. And Now, we don't want to embarrass Greg anymore. We give him a clap for being willing. You see, with these sort of programs for young people, you do need a fall guy, and he fell really well. Um, <laughs> But you see, if you want to see the rest of what's on that video, the article is on the front page of this newsletter, right? Because this is the origin of the sound G. Um, I mean, that's the old letter, G. And in alphabets, it just simply turns around. And if you go to Egypt and you look up their letter G, you will find it's got the boomerang in it. And so is the Bible in their letter G. Uh, Aborigines didn't invent these things. They're the last people to keep using them. 
What a difference. And neither did all the Aborigines have them, only the people in the bottom half of Australia had them. It's interesting. Oh, and we can say a lot more about the Australian evidence and its connection to the Bible, and that's why the Bible says everything declares the glory of God. All the evidence actually points to the creation. You can't get away from it. I mean, just as this is a designed object that didn't happen by itself, even the alphabets that we use around the planet have an origin and a creation. Interesting. Well, they asked me tonight to deal with the uh, bird's eye view of heaven. Oh, boomerangs, that's what these were used for, catching birds. Some that you'd throw a stick at that wouldn't come back, that's not a very effective way to catch a bird, by the way. Have you ever tried shooting birds? They are hard. But these ones, you threw it over the top of the birds, and as it goes around, it will go whoop, 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 and the birds will get frightened and come on down. Then your mate would throw another one, you'd throw another one and drive them into a net. Very clever way to catch birds, these things. Totally lead-free. If you've used a shotgun, you know what I mean. All right. Creation research. If you've got any other questions, pick up the, uh, for the newsletters at the back to read more on that exciting new evidence that's just come to light of uh, how the Bible and boomerangs and Babel are all connected. Now, go to Q&A, go to um, a fact file, etc. But tonight, we're going to touch on Australia and animals and birds in particular. Don't we have some cuties down here? In fact, I took this picture not too far from here. Do you see we have lizards that have lost their legs and they now have cute little legs? They really do. Do you realise reptiles are the biggest group on the planet that are still losing their legs? Now, don't be surprised. There was a reptile in the Garden of Eden that lost its legs. They are still doing that even in the world today. Because we have some interesting trees too. Some of you grew up when these had a politically incorrect name and uh, now they're just called grass trees or if you like the Latin and Greek, it's a much more technical word. And running in between them, we have some of the biggest chickens on the planet, don't we? They can't fly, but they can sure run. And on the rivers, the things that attracted Captain Cook. Hey, you know, down there, they have black swans. And nobody would believe him. But we do have black swans, correct? Because if they looked a bit closer, we have black and white swans, really. They're not just black. And if you go to England, the reason for all the kerfuffle was Her Majesty's swans are white. She owns all the swans, by the way. They got in on that market ages ago. You can't kill, catch or eat any of the swans. And I get asked questions, look, if Australia's swans are black and English swans are white, they, they are proof of evolution. I wish people travelled like I've been blessed with the opportunity because if you go in between and travel the world, you find there are black swans in the southern hemisphere, white swans in the northern hemisphere and in between you have black and white swans. Or didn't you learn that at school? Because you didn't see it on David Attenborough. You see, he doesn't tell you the truth at all. He likes to present a view that leaves God totally out. You see, he's reaching the end of his life and he really needs to be saved. He may have fame and glory on this planet. He's facing eternity in hell. Do you believe that? Because in reality, it drives your motivation to witness to people like that. And yes, we've given him videos showing how wrong he is. He ignores them totally. Yeah, I mean, personally handed stuff to the guy, written to him. You come to Australia, what do you call that? That's a pelican. And there's all sorts of jokes about the pelican and its bellican and all sorts of things like that. But can't they fly? Don't they look like some kind of prehistoric plane as they glide across the water? The Russians copied their air glider from there, the one that skims across the power coming off the wings under the plane, off the water. And I'll tell you what, they are magnificent birds. But if you're like me and you're blessed with travel, the first time you see a black pelican, what's gone wrong? I mean, look, what an ugly looking bird. The Australian one is much better. And of course, we look at these and the world tells you, look, these changes are the proof of evolution. They used to be black. Now they're black and white. Some are totally white. Well, they're certainly different 
But you know, when I look around in this room, I can see some dark people. I can see some light people. And look at me, I'm spotted. I've got pink, white, brown, black. I, I'm the United Nations on one arm. <laughs> and the reality is, people like me suffer the highest rate of skin cancer on the planet because our skin is changed by degeneration. Remember what we did this morning, good to bad to worse? Change is true, but it's the opposite of evolution. Well, we certainly see some beautiful birds in Australia. I mean, where on earth do you get things like this? Well, you can come to Jurassic Ark, and I'd encourage you to do so. Pick up the brochures up the back and come and see our parakeets that visit us. Yes, you don't need much food to train them. They are greedy little blighters. They love hunger. They love food. Um, they're easy to make pets of, provided you keep feeding them, correct? <laughs> yep, that's right. And Jurassic Ark and all the work that God has given us to do exists for that reason, to remind people the birds, the boomerangs, the whole planet. There are plenty of theories and opinions that contradict everything the Bible says about it, but the facts never do. You did listen to the Bible reading, didn't you? Started out in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, the words of the Lord. You know, the Bible never, never claims that the section on the Ten Commandments is the result of Moses thinking, what on earth do I tell these Jewish nitwits? to give them some sort of unity, political uh, body. I've got to do something. So he came up with the Ten Commandments. No, no, no. It never says Moses said. It says, and the Lord said. And then the Lord said this and the Lord said that. And uh, we finished with verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. Do you realise that means the ancestors of the pelicans, the ancestors of the parakeets, he made it all. Now, when Moses got down to verse 11, because Moses didn't even have to make a copy, a copy was handed to him. God wrote it down. It says in his own hand. That's why we can write. We're made in God's image. He can write, so we can write. We just don't write as well, and we have to invent letters, hence we use symbols. That's what we do. Symbols are helpful, but we invented most of the symbols and don't be surprised we can create sounds with them because we've got that ability. God speaks, we speak. God writes, we write. Hmm, okay. God's word is true from the beginning. Can you imagine Moses having spent time with the Lord and blessed with the glory of the Lord when he gets down to verse 11 saying, hey, are you sure it was six days? I mean, what about the light from the furthest star? You can't really fit that into six days. But yet I hear many Christians saying that. Man, what audacity, what gall, what ignorance of who God really is. I made the heavens and the earth in just six days, therefore. That's why we have Jurassic Ark. Bring your friends, bring your enemies. We had a great time talking to people up the back afterwards and I'd encourage you, remember you've got a question time actually allowed on, on the program tonight. And don't forget to watch the Young People's YouTube channel because I think you we did four programs that night, didn't we, Greg? And, and they were good fun. I didn't make too much more fun of Greg. He was a really good guy to interview. Um, okay, a bird's eye view of creation down under. Do you realise I created that title? I actually learned how to type on a computer to do that. I'm proud of myself. Right? I learned to go enter and full stop and colour and all of those things. I didn't learn any of that at school, but I learned how to do it on, on a Windows program. Hmm. I, I even learned how to do that. <coughs> There's a Bible verse. God created every winged bird according to their kinds. Now, I've told you before and I'll tell you again that the word kind shows up 10 times in Genesis chapter 1. Now, any time you get something that shows up 10 signs in one chapter, God's saying, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, take attention. I've also told you that Charles Darwin graduated in theology. So he knew why he was calling his book Origin of Species. Because the Bible never says God created them each according to its species. He created each of them according to its kind. And if you read Latin or you read Greek, you'll find the Greek version of the Bible or the old Latin version of the Bible doesn't use the word kind, that's English. It uses the Latin word, the Greek equivalent, 
called genus. So Mr. Linnaeus borrowed the word genus from the Bible because he trained in Latin. So the whole classification system came from Genesis chapter 1. Or didn't they tell you that at school? Our aim in science, it's any naturalistic explanation without reference to God. And they've done a good job of it. They lie by omission. And there's another factor. By the time you get to the end of the chapter, all creatures, birds, eagles, killers, lions, tigers, originally vegetarian. Dave asked me a really interesting question. He said someone had asked it in a program, how do you create vegan manure? I don't know. If you've got any suggestions, see Dave. He's interested in the answer. You could get vegetarian manure, that's for sure. And by the time you get to Genesis chapter 7, it uses words like clean and unclean animals because Noah never went out to Australia to collect any emus. Yeah, emus can swim. Did you see that news clip the other night on Channel 7? Emu down the beach having a good old swim? I've got a news clip on my computer here of a koala going for a swim in the surf. They do lots more things than we give them credit for. But the one thing that Noah didn't have to do was go and collect any Aussie animals at all because there was no Australia before the flood. All the world was in one place and the water was in the other. But by the time of Genesis chapter 7, it says clean and unclean animals. Birds and creatures that crawl on the ground came to Noah. You do appreciate the difference? When God made the world, it was very good. Everything was clean. Nothing was killing. Nothing was eating dead things. All that is yet to come because the world was made very good. Then sin came in and it went from good to bad. Change is true, but it's the opposite of evolution. You want to know what an unclean creature is? Well, the easiest definition as you read through your Bible is creatures that eat dead things. Hmm. Have you ever given meat to your dog and it's not hungry so it goes out and it buries it? Have you seen that? And then it digs it up four weeks later. Worms and maggots. Unclean. It's one reason why British people don't eat dogs. Yeah, they're so unclean. Um, These animals entered the ark just as God had instructed Noah. Two of each unclean creature and seven of each clean creature. By the way, these are going to be the ancestors of all the creatures on the planet. The ratio is just about... um, Three to one. Do you realise that in the world today, the ratio of creatures that don't kill and don't eat dead things compared to the ones that do is still roughly three to one? That ratio was set by the time of Noah's flood. What's the difference? Well, there's some clean creatures. I know because that's my bread. And I fed it to those beautiful parakeets down in a mountain park down in Victoria. Aren't they beautiful birds? And look at this. Yep, what's it eating? Well, the grain that we put out on the, on the branch. I'll tell you what, these are not eating dead things. Then, oh yes, you've got to remember that God has a different perspective on what is alive. Plants are not regarded as alive in the same sense as animals and people. Plants are regarded as machinery to feed the rest of the planet. That's why when you go to a a, a vegetarian or a vegan country, nobody's sitting there saying, oh, I bit the apple, the poor thing. You automatically know there's something innately different between a vegetable and a vegetarian. Okay. (laughs) Well, I hope you do anyway. Um, You will find that these birds are clean. These birds are still largely eating only that which has grown from the plant, has not ever had blood in it. And in Genesis 1, 30 and 31, remind us, God told Adam what the animals would eat. He gave them things that were growing. I've given them all the green herbs for food and it was so. And it's only after God has announced what the diet of these creatures would be, then he saw that it was very good. Do you realise there was no bloodshed in God's original planet? That's the definition of very good. When we spoke this morning of the new heavens and the new earth, are you looking forward to no more war? Are you looking forward to no more accidents? Uh, I mean, I, I've had a few accidents in my life. I was collecting rocks 
and I did something which I knew I shouldn't have did, and I, done should be the past tense, and, and, and I knew automatically I would pay the price, but I hope they get away with it. I only had two geological hammers with me. I'd left my, my um, chisel, you know the steel chisel? I left it at home. So I took one hammer and I turned the other one upside down and I belted the two very... Oh, Dave, you're shaking your head. What's, what's about to happen, Dave? Yeah. You see, when you have two sorts of steel, one of which won't give away and the other one which won't give away, you hit one on the other and all of a sudden the temperature goes incredibly high and a bit will fracture off and it went straight through my hand. I'll tell you what, there was no bleeding the temperature of that bit was so hot, it just sealed the wound straight away and then I had a jagged piece of metal sealed inside my hand. What an idiot, Mackay. You know better than that. Well, we're all like that, sadly. But the one thing I knew, despite the fact that I'd collected a really good specimen, it wasn't very good. Look at these birds. They all fit the vegetarian model. They all fit God's description of very good, even though these ones here... I had a good crop of corn coming on this year until I woke up and there's... They're all going cockatoos outside. You know I have one cob of corn left. That was it. They ate the lot, rotten things. One of my friends used to keep his cockatoo locked up on the veranda until he discovered that all the boys and girls walking past were teaching it swear words. (laughs) And you know when he found out? When the pastor came round to visit... The pastor was even worse. And you should have heard what the pastor said about, oh, oh what the parakeet said about the pastor was even worse. Well, I'll tell you what, they can mimic, but they have no idea that they shouldn't be saying those things, um, that they, they don't have mind control of that. They can speak, but because they've got a good memory, not because they understand. Uh, don't we have some interesting black parrots? And I'll tell you what, some of these birds, look at this. Only in Australia. And you too can go to the bird parks. And all of these creatures fly. And they have a bird's eye view of Australia and down under. Particularly the kids down under. And you know what's about to happen, don't you? <laughs> yeah. They take it in one end and 80% of it comes out the other. It really is true. Now don't forget, you're going to have an opportunity to ask me some questions. And if you don't get your question answered then you can go to our website. You can go to our 24-7 television channel. You can go and have a look at Greg's program. I must do some more of them, Greg. Uh, Do these sort of 10, 15-minute clips. You can ask us questions, send them in, including ones like this. What's happened to birds since Noah's flood? You can have a look at the books that are still over in in your shop from last year on why did Noah take cockroaches on the ark? Do you realise in the beginning cockroaches were very good? They were. They do a wonderful job cleaning up the forest. But once you build sewers and septics, they don't mind. They will clean up your septic and sewer and cart it all over the kitchen too. What happened to birds since Noah's flood? Skip the cockroaches. Well, most of them still eat all the plants and the flowers and the corn. They do. Noah was told that these creatures, but clean and unclean, by the time of Noah, there has been a degeneration. They're no longer all eating what God had commanded them to. I'll tell you what, when you go to the different countries, you soon realise there's been an incredible amount of variety in these creatures. Even though when you put them on the ark, there were seven pairs of clean ones, there was two of the unclean ones. Um, When you have a look at the toucans and things like that, and then you do one thing, oh no, this is not my work, I got this, of a guy who'd done his PhD on the distribution of parrots on the planet. And he was a Christian and he was puzzling. How on earth can you have such a distribution? So I made a few simple suggestions. You have a think about the things I suggested and wrote it up as an article. He discovered that the closer you get to areas like Mount Ararat, the fewer the variety of parakeets there are. The further away you get, the greater the variety of parakeets there are. By the time you get to the tip of South America or the parts of Australia, you have an abundant profusion of them. So I said, why don't you try Noah's flood? You see, Noah's flood says seven of the the clean got on and then when they got off, 
one of each of the clean kind was sacrificed. The biggest sacrificial offering that's ever been made in the history of the planet. So three pairs got off. Think carefully. There are three families of the parrots. Yeah, they all fit into those three families. Three pairs got off Noah's Ark. Now question, you've been stuck on a boat for a year. Are you going to plan your annual get-together convention in one year's time? They have had Noah. They have had Shem and Ham and Japheth up to there. They want out. So would you. They are going to go as far and as fast as they possibly can. Seven of each clean creature got on. One of each clean creature was sacrificed after the flood. No unclean creatures were sacrificed because they weren't acceptable to God by then because he was only interested in the ones that reflected his good creation. Two of each unclean creature got off. Two of each unclean creature got on. The ratio still today is three pairs to one pair. Interesting. The Bible says it came from when God loaded up the ark. And look at these cuties. Aren't they lovely? And you have names for them. Hey, Bluey. And you teach Bluey to say, Bluey is a lovely boy. Bluey is a lovely boy. He has no idea what he's saying or she. And they crawl all over the place and they poo where they like. They have no idea of sanitation either. And aren't they beautiful? Look at, look at those beautiful variations. Yep, there's plenty of variations. There's no doubt about it. There's three main groups of parakeets and they're all in the same kind. No matter what species you give them name. Darwin wrote his book Origin of Species for one reason. He knew the Bible said God created separate kinds. You see how subtle this is? He was trained in theology and he knew that the Bible talked about kind and Charles Darwin deliberately didn't. He tells you how black cows became white cows, how people became tall or short. He tells you how ground parrots came from parrots that flew, which brings me to this guy. He's a lesson and a half. That is a New Zealand parakeet. Look at his beak. Man, I'll tell you what, that's a sharp beak. And you and I live in a world where they say sharp beaks have evolved to kill things. Well, one thing we know about this bird is that until the Europeans brought sheep to New Zealand, it ate bark, it ate seeds, because there were nothing big, no animals for this guy to eat at all in New Zealand. Um, we happen to have in our library the evidence of the first killings that were done by these Kia parrots. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Do you know what had happened? The Europeans came. The English came particularly and they did exactly the same in New Zealand that they did to my Scottish ancestors. You see, they cleared the land and they bought sheep in. Why? Because they could make more money from sheep than they can make from Scottish settlers. Yep. And they shipped the settlers out to all our... Oh, sorry, that's politics. I better not go there. But in reality, what you'll find is they did the same in New Zealand. You need grass pastures. And the parakeets, the big, sharp, big parakeets that had been vegetarian right up to then, they got brains. They were hungry. So they put two and two together to make four. If I can't get grass, if I can't get seeds, if I can't get plants, I'll eat the sheep that do. So we know historically they began by eating dead sheep. You see, it doesn't take too many brains or skill to catch a dead sheep. You do know that, don't you? Talk to Dave. He goes hunting all sorts of animals. He'll tell you how easy it is to shoot a dead one. Um, <laughs> and you know what happened since then? We watched them. They learned. And if you've ever worked with parrots and parakeets and all of those, they learn pretty fast, particularly when it deals with where the food is kept. And they began soon to figure out that if one adult Kia parrot can kill one dead sheep, which it doesn't need to do because the sheep's just lying there, then four of them can attack and kill a baby sheep that was alive. We watched them. They learned. And then if four adults can kill one baby sheep, then 40 can attack a herd of adult sheep. And so when I was there the first time in New Zealand, they had a Kia parrot warning on the government radio. Beware, beware, flock of Kia parrots going you know, southwest or wherever. They still do that. These birds have migrated from being vegetarian to being scavengers 
to being carnivores. They have become unclean, non-vegetarians. They've changed. Now, they weren't created to be killers. Their nice beak wasn't created to be a killer beak. Their beak, beak was created to rip up bark, to rip up plants. Since the flood, some have changed. And if you want to, you can now call them new species. Here's one that's changed. It's easy to understand. Because there were no big animals that attacked anything in New Zealand, then this bird devolved. It's the flightless parrot. It, it lives on the South Island, New Zealand, and it can't fly. So it runs between the trees and climbs the trees. Now, do you want to know where it came from? It's easy to find out. Its cousin that still flies lives in the trees, and it lost its wings. Some of you remember doing at high school the flightless beetles that live on the islands in the Pacific, and they are examples of evolution. No, I'm sorry, they're examples of degeneration. They got to this island, and it was a good place to be. They flew there. They got blown there. And then some of them are born without wings, and they've never left since. Now, if anything happens on that island and it kills off those beetles, they won't evolve. They will simply become extinct. You see, since Noah's flood, some have changed. They've even produced new species. Do you know what happens? The ones with wings look down, quite literally, on the ones without wings, and they say, <laughs> wouldn't marry that. They do. Have you noticed that dogs will behave like that? Couldn't mate with that one. Look at that scrawny-looking French poodle. Who'd want that? They, dogs behave like that. Cats behave like that. Some have changed, and you can call the new isolated group new species because from then on, the characteristics in that creature will be locked in. And they're not new by evolution. Sadly, they're new by degeneration. Do you realise the Scottish people have the thickest soles on their feet of the whole people on the planet? You say, how could you evolve anything like that? Well, I'll tell you. The British chased us over those cold stones in Scotland. It's true, by the way. And I asked my dad, why on earth did we live right up the north part of Scotland? And he said it was as far as we could run from the British. And you run over those cold stones in Scotland, then if you don't have tough feet, you're caught. You're dead. So only the ones that were left had thick soles on their feet. Do you realise Aussie flies have really thick soles on their feet? I mean, we invented... Don't you spray on the walls the sticky spray that is there to kill the flies? Have you noticed that half our flies just ignore it and go... <laughs> That's because they've got the thickest soles of all flies on the planet and the poison doesn't leak in. Not because they evolved that, they already had it or they'd be dead already. You see, evolution is not true, variation is, but it's devolution. And aren't they beautiful? I'll tell you what, since the flood, you like parrot pie? You're allowed to have it, by the way. God told Noah from now he could eat the animals that moved. Some people ask me today, how do you know when something's alive? And they wanted to have a chemical definition or a, a, a species definition. I said, no, no, no. You see, in the beginning, God gave us the vegetables to eat. And then he told Noah, from now on, Genesis chapter 9, now on, just as I gave you permission to eat the plants, I give you permission to eat the things that move. Now, you do appreciate life got harder because if you're trying to ambush a cabbage, it's actually easy. <laughs> I mean, you don't need to sneak up. <laughs> don't need to do that at all. You want to catch a parakeet, I'll tell you what, they are sneaky blighters. They can hear you, can't look, they can spot you. And when you look at their camouflage, aren't they beautiful? But they're beautiful because you ate all the white ones. They're beautiful because any that were black stood out like a sore toe. It's the same in your chicken pen. When you have a look at the birds in your chicken pen, the fox is not stupid. If you live down my way, which is the Redland Bay area, the ground is what colour? Red. So when I have red roosters and I have white roosters, guess which one the fox can see easiest? The white ones. So guess what happens to all my chickens? They either grow red because they're born red or they die out. 
Now you can call it natural selection if you like and you can call it camouflage if you want but it hasn't happened by accident. It hasn't happened by anything except the bugs, the foxes selecting the ones that they can see easily. Hmm. Camouflage through, occurs through elimination. When you look at the bird's evidence, I'm sorry, it doesn't support David Attenborough. It doesn't support Charles Darwin. It reminds you that God made everything very good and look at the degeneration as it goes down. Oh yes, parakeets are unique. They have the biggest brain per body weight. Did you know they can move both parts of their beak, top and bottom? They're the only birds that can do that. They have unique colouring pigments. I mean, get up and look at their feathers. Their feathers are iridescent, beautiful. And they are unrelated. You see, that young man who did his PhD on parakeets, he said parrots are not related to any other bird on the face of the earth. But then that's what you'd expect, isn't it? You'd expect it about all the kangaroos. They're related to each other, but they're not related to any other animal on the face of this earth. We see dogs and lions and people say, well, they must have been related sooner or later. No, in the beginning, they were created each according to their own kind. And parakeets, they'll listen to you. Parakeets can move both beaks. Parakeets can mimic you. Aren't they clever at it? Yeah, don't teach them bad words, by the way. They'll go ahead and use them where they don't know the context. God created every winged creature according to their kinds, and that still shows. You see, no wonder the Bible says God told us to test everything and try everything and only keep that which is true. And God said he had stamped his nature as the teller of truth upon the whole creation because all things were made by Christ and all things are made for Christ and Christ is the way, the truth and the life. Now you know why Jesus said the words out of your mouth will condemn you because monkeys don't speak. You do. They weren't made in God's image. You are. You invent new words. You create new synonyms and antonyms and some of you don't even know what they are, but you use them anyway. You see, we create grammar. We create new letters that, like the letter G in Egyptian and in Hebrew. I'll tell you what, grab the article up there. Grab all the handouts. Uh, enjoy the, the stuff that's available. Support the ministry. We'd encourage you to do that. And if you are looking for a museum to go to, pray about the one on the south side. Pray about perhaps becoming a volunteer over there. Or take your, it's fun that church went to Jurassic Park. Don't you reckon, Dave? I reckon it is. Take a church trip up there and pray for young Joe, who you saw on video this morning. He didn't share a couple of things. He doesn't know that I'm telling you this. Sarah Ann has been down because she's lost two babies. All right? So please pray for her. She's taken that rather hard. And Joe, Joe's coping all right, but please pray for them because they would love to have a family. Because what was one of the first commands? Multiply and fill the earth and Australia's mostly empty. Isn't that true? A lot of space to go. Well, look, now you're going to have the opportunity to ask me questions. And again, a reminder, there's our website. You can go to there. There's a question answer site there. There's a fact file there. Let's have 10, 15 minutes of questions. The guys up the back are taking uh, the uh, microphones around so that I can also hear what you're asking. So anybody who wants to ask a question, now is your chance. There's a lot more we could have done on birds, but um, we have a limited time. Young lady in the middle here. You'll have to put it high so the guys at the back can actually see you. Have you ever heard a parakeet? I think you called them parakeets. Recite. Say that again. Have you ever heard a parakeet recite a Bible verse? Um, I know people have tried to get them to do that and I believe they've been able to do it. They can, they can basically mimic anything that you tell them to do. So they, they should be able to do that. I've personally never done it. I've only ever had one parakeet that we had in our, our life. It was one of the little budgerigars. And I know that they can say just about anything including whole sentences, but I've never tried some of the longer verses out of Lamentations or anything like that. Anybody got a question? Up the back. Do you, do you believe that the earth is only 6,000 years old or do you believe, uh, like it says, 
the earth was, uh, the, the verses in Genesis about it was void. Uh, was there anything there before uh, okay. God said, let there be light? All right, two angles, one from the scientific and uh, when you look at that belief that there was a gap between verse 1 and verse 2, which is where this question is really coming from historically, this thought came into existence from a Scotsman who was a geologist as well as a theologian and it was at the time when the scientists were saying, well, the fossils were laid down one on top of the other so you had to add up how long it took the animals to live and die in this layer then how long it took for them to live and die in this layer, live and die in this layer. So you end up with them adding all the lifespans and getting hundreds of thousands of years. So the theologian said there must have been a creation before Adam because they still had a belief in a literal Adam. And as you and I know, without a belief in a literal Adam, the rest of the gospel falls to pieces. That's what we spoke about this morning. But what they did was say, well, there was probably a group of ape-like creatures or human-like people, whatever, and they existed before the devil rebelled and you end up having a flood, a Lucifer's flood, etc., that produced all the fossils and things like that. Now, from a scientific perspective, that depended on the age of the earth already being believed to be very old. And we dealt this morning with the fact that if you start at the bottom layer and you add up all the lifespans, then you are doomed to get a very old planet, but then that's what it's designed to do, right? You look at Charles Lael, who gave us that sort of methodology, and he was designed to leave Moses out of science, to get rid of six days of creation, to get rid of Noah's flood, and it was very effective, and it produced all sorts of beliefs that Christians shouldn't go anywhere near. From a biblical perspective... And let me remind you of how the Bible phrases Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And now, even though you've got numbers against your verses in Genesis, there are no numbers in the original text. The numbers are put there for our convenience. And they didn't come into the text until the 1400s and the 1600s and chapters uh, came in there as well. But they are not part of the original text. What is part of the original text is the first break, really the first pace you can t stop for a breath, is Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. Now if you read the Bible it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth without form and void and darkness covered the face of the earth and the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters and, 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 and. There's 131 ands. Now, the purpose of that and, or if you like it in Hebrew, V-A-V or W-A-W, um, is a connector. Now, every time you have a sentence, what you'll find, even in English, if you start it with and, the teacher goes, slap. You can't do that. And has to connect it to something else. Now, you'll find that there's 131 ands because everything in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is connected to everything else up till Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. And God saw all he made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day, and God rested on the seventh, right? You, you rest. You need a rest. So there is no grammatical reason putting any space in there at all, and you'll find that it's, it's absolutely redundant. It's purely an accession to the scientists, and they should have said, hey, you scientists, you need to read this. God was there. Look what he says. There's no gap. There's no millions of years. Uh, the, uh, the vast age of the planet is an arbitrary factor. And the last thing I'll tell you is when I went to university, an older Christian, praise God for him, said, why don't you go all through the university geology library and see what the age of the earth is listed as? He said, what you'll find is every 200 years for the past 300, the age of the earth has doubled. And I thought, no, no, scientists know what they're talking about. Well, I did what he said, and he was absolutely right. When I was a student, the age of the universe was just changing from 3 billion years to 4.2 billion years. But 20 years before that, at the end of World War I, etc., it had just been 2 billion years. Boy, had we aged a lot because of two wars. And in reality, it, it, it pokes fun 
at the beliefs that we use, sadly, for the theologians to say there must be a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. The last theological reason I'll give you to think, have a think about it, the Bible says, with Adam came sin, and with sin came death, and death and corruption passed on the whole of creation. Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Uh, what you'll find is that if you have that view, then there was death on the planet before God created man. Can't have been. Right? There was no death until sin came on the planet. And it's Adam's sin and Adam's sin alone that brought death onto the planet. If you change that, then God is standing there looking at a planet. He's just finished making Adam and Eve and he says, Behold, everything I saw is very good. And it wasn't. It was full of dead things, full of judgment against sin. And no way in the world would God, who is Jesus, ever pronounce the presence of death as good. That's why you need to take consideration of his criticism of the Pharisees when he said, you are whitewashed sepulchres. On the outside you look nice, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Death is always the evidence of sin. So therefore when you look at God calling something good, you know there was no evidence of sin there whatsoever. So that, that's go, go to uh, our Q&A site or go to our fact file and look up gap theory, look up the age of the earth, look up uh, you know, the ruin reconstruction theory. It's under quite a few titles and you'll find a lot more there. But thanks for the question. Anybody else? Thank you very much. Pleasure. How many colours do parrots come in? Uh, you'll have to repeat that again, please, buddy. How many colours do parrots come in? How many colours do parrots come in? Um, I don't think we know the answer to that because of the way their colours are actually made in the feathers. Um, many, many birds that you find out there, their colour is a reaction between the chemistry of the feather and the interaction of light so that it's not the same as you painting a bird and putting blue pigment or red pigment on. These interactive colours, we're only just learning to copy ourselves. And in fact, one of the places we want to use them is to make the outsides of uh, tanks or weapons uh, to make it this sort of colour so it can actually reflect the environment so you can't see the tank, right? Or if you want it to shine up, you can see the tank. Right, so you can actually swap the colour and you will have noticed lately, you older people, that the number of green cars is, well, sometimes is it green or is it green gold or is it green iridescent blue? What colour is it? Because you can go to the colour shop now and you can select from any one of, man, it's confusing, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of colours and that's where the parrots are. That's why some of them just look like they're lighting up just in absolute beauty. Thank you for the question. God thought of that sort of system before we did. Okay, next question. Down the back, yeah. Yep. Um, I've just got, I'm usually able to answer atheists on, on most questions, but... Can you um, speak up a bit, please? I'm usually able to answer atheists on most questions, like, you know, where does life begin? Because they, they don't really have an answer for that. But one, one question I have um, uh, struggled to answer is, if an atheist says to you... Um, like a light is billions of light years away. How do you answer them? Okay, if you go to our website and search light, you'll find that it is a common belief that light takes millions of years to get from the furthest star. But as one famous physics professor said, we would be able to use a lot more of the information in physics if only we'd let go of one concept, that the speed of light never changes. Now, Professor of Physics in universities in England, if we let go of the concept, that light can't change. Now, some of you know already from your high school science that light actually doesn't always travel at the same speed because I'll tell you, it comes in from the outside, hits the glass, it will change direction, but it will change direction because it's changing its speed, right? So it's no longer doing the same speed it was in, in, in air. And that's not doing the same speed it was in a vacuum. And then the mysterious thing is it comes through the glass or comes through the water, flips out into the air and goes back to the speed it was. Really weird. How, how do we deal with this? Well, we don't. 
we just ignore the fact that it's changed speed. Right? So we give everyone the blanket opinion, if it left the star, it's travelled always at the same speed. If it's travelled at 300,000 kilometres per second, then divide that into the distance and that's how many years it must have taken. And they never tell you they've made the assumption that A, it left the star, B, it's always travelled at the same speed, C, you can actually measure that speed. The professor involved and several other people said, look, we've got abundant evidence that light has changed speed. The minute you start to think that way, the whole system falls apart because you can actually have the speed being really fast at the start and then slowing down by the time it gets here. Um, changes the picture totally, but again, if you want the technical details, go to the website, search the word light, right? search velocity of light and a few other terms like that, and you find the way to, well, probably pass it on to your friends who will be absolutely shocked because it's such a fixed belief that light doesn't change speed, yet it does when it comes out of water. That's why if you, th you know, get a spear and you throw a spear at a fish you can see in the water, you'll miss. Because when it comes out of the water, it changes direction, but it's changing direction and changing velocity. Somebody down the front there? Uh, my question is, on this morning's uh, message, uh, you showed us some photos of uh, dinosaurs yep. being buried um, alive, and they were in... Uh, kind of a death pose, like they'd been drowned. How do the those scientists who say there is no worldwide flood, how do they refute these nice. many fossils? Remember that parameter of science. For those of you who couldn't hear that too well, how do the scientists deal with the evidence of a flood everywhere? Because we've seen specimens from China. I've been to much of the Asian areas and, and Europe, etc. I've been through America and Canada. And you'll find that dinosaurs here are the same. You find a whole dinosaur and it will be like that, a flood deposit. Come with me to Mudderborough and you'll find our biggest dinosaur found, Mudderborosaurus, was buried with seashells. Right? And even the website says it must have been washed out to sea and then buried rapidly. Well, the thing flooded. It was drowned beyond a shadow of a doubt. So what you'll find is what they do is shut their eyes and go away. I'm serious. Remember the parameter of science? Our aim is to have a naturalistic explanation which rejects, which refuses, which does not mention anything about God. Uh, Lyell's aim, quote unquote, and he wrote this to his friend Charles Darwin, and my aim is to remove Moses from science. Creation in six days, God's right to be the lawgiver, destruction because of sin, and Noah's flood. He's out to get rid of all of that and we are so brainwashed, we don't even see that we are, are ignoring one other option. I remember one of the young men in, in uh, the England, he was a meteorologist, right? Trained, professional. And young Joe asked him a simple question. Now, you believe in climate change? Yes. He said, have you ever thought of the effect that a big flood, a global flood would have on that? I oh, know. He said, well, what evidence, what, 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 what did you do? He came back in a week's time and he said, that would destroy everything. The minute you put a global flood there, the minute you put a climate that's changed from beautifully even to the rainy one we had, you've had a massive climate change already, but it was a result of God's judgment. And your world you live in is not the world that was created, it's a degeneration of it. And he said it would absolutely destroy everything we believe about climate change. But they deliberately leave this out because it's part of Genesis. We, we want to get rid of Moses and uh, our, our naturalistic explanation is the only acceptable one. Okay, time for one more question. Let's take one over this side because they, they, they've dominated. There's a good-looking bloke over there in a purple shirt. It's coming. Do you realise because I picked you, you'd better put more in the offering? Oh, no, look, no, not him, not him. The guy up. Oh, all right, you can get... I'll take two then. I'll be generous. Thanks, John. I realise it's still early days, but the dust they brought back from this asteroid, asteroid just recently, and the scientists getting excited about it. It's showing what water and uh, some compounds necessary mm -hmm. to life. But what are the creation scientists' angle upon what they found? Um, with exactly the same as the first scientists who saw the meteorites that have landed on the planet 
and the chemicals that are in them that you actually see when you run any random experiment. So in your textbooks, you will find that um, they had what they called amino acid experiments. They would put hydrogen, helium, methane, etc., water. They would pass high energy through it and claim this duplicated lightning in the early atmosphere, striking uh, uh, chemicals and producing life molecules. Now, you can make amino acids that way. You will end up with amino acids in that chemistry, and they say because your protein, your muscles, etc., is made of joint little bits of amino acids, we've proved life can happen by itself. But as someone pointed out very quickly after that, when you make amino acids randomly, you actually make a mixture of them. Now, when I say mixture, some of you have never studied amino acids. They're very, very simple things, um, but they always come in two forms. Once you have carbon molecules connected together, you know, A, B, C, D, all carbon molecules, because they can connect up in four angles, you will find this one might twist that way. Then the next one might twist the other way. But in the other molecule that you're making exactly the same formula, this one will twist this way. These are called isomers, right? And what you'll find is every amino acid in your body is left-handed. We call them left-handed because if you look at that and that, these have exactly the same formula, one thumb and four fingers. But they, they don't match, right? They are totally unique. Your body is made of left-handed amino acids and only those work in your body. If you include one right-handed amino acid, it has the effect of going zip, it all falls to pieces. So what you find is these chemicals that are found, uh, if you claim them to be organic, every time they've been formed randomly, like in outer space from energy or whatever, you will have a mixture of left-handed and right-handed, and that is not how life is. You'll find life is exclusively one or the other. It is never a mixture of both because it becomes self-destruct. So that's, that's where they're going wrong, and they'll continue to go wrong. Same as their belief, we found life on an asteroid. It must have come from Mars. Therefore, there will be life on Mars. Wrong. There's not life because there is water. There is water because there is life. And the water will be where God put it. And you find that when you look where water is, it doesn't mean there'll be life there at all unless God bothered to put the life in the water. Water by itself does not make anything live at all. So ignore the fact that they are uh, making presuppositions. Ignore the fact that they're being naturalistic and you'll think we've found evidence. Put in the fact that they haven't found any evidence because they've got mixtures and it ends up being vain boasting of men who want to go to other planets in the hope that this proves there is no God so they can do what they like. One last question then over here, sir. So my question is, um, I remember being taught uh, when I was a kid something about people being on average shorter a few couple of thousand years ago and that and people now being taller and, and like humanity increasing in height on average. Is, is, is there any truth to that at all or is that just... Okay, you're asking a question about size and size, of course, is related to your diet. So if you um, bring the Vietnamese here, I'm old enough to remember the, the Vietnamese war. After the war was lost by the Americans and associates, a lot of Vietnamese people fled. They're about this big, right? They'd had rice and a bit of fish each week. Low protein diet. You bring them out here and all of a sudden they've got access to high protein food. McDonald's, Hungry Jacks. Yeah, much better than fish once a fortnight. And what you find, look at their kids. Their kids are up there. Now, it's not evolution. It's a higher quality diet. Um, talk to farmers. If you want your cows to be bigger, give them a high protein diet while they're growing up. If you want the cows to have no kids, keep them from a, a high protein diet while they're growing up. That was Pharaoh's plan. You know, don't let the men have any high protein food. They'll stop having kids and they won't overrun the country. And God said, nah, 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 right? You don't understand sex at all. I will bless them. And all the midwives says, but the people are keeping up with kids. We don't know how it happened. And the men said, we don't know what's going on either. Yeah, 
So you'll find that these are, they affect, they're relatively to the diet. If all you've got to eat is Agent Orange and bullets, you don't usually get very tall. But you'll find when you get, say, Numbers chapter 13, the Egyptians had been chasing the Israelites. The Israelites had uh, escaped. But when they get to the promised land, they send the spies in and the spies reported, we saw giants. And they also collected one bunch of grapes, took two men to carry one bunch of grapes. That's why it says the land was flowing with milk and honey. No wonder the people could be big. I mean, the people of Israel had been walking through the desert for 40 years. What do you think they'd been eating, manna? Yeah, that's exactly what they'd been eating, right? Not too much variation in their diet. They would love big grapes and lots of other things. So it's a diet-related thing, not necessarily a genetic-related thing. But every now and then you'll find big people will have mutant kids. So if you want to know where the pygmies came from, they are the descendants of the Zulus. Huh? Big Zulus? And if you want to know how they survived, well, have you noticed that we persecute people who aren't like us? It's a sad truth. You looked at the dwarves in our society. They band together and form political groups. The pygmies did the same. And that's why you find them in the middle of the jungles. Because you ever been traced by a Zulu? He can't duck fast enough to get into the jungle. So they escaped into the jungle and they bred with each other and now they're fully grown by the time they're this big and that's it. So you end up with a small race that we know is ancestrally from a giant race. Okay, but it's purely diet as well as genetics. Uh, okay, um, look at your Bible and look what happened to the giants. Their strength didn't help them one bit when they took on God's servants. It was God who uh, defeated the giants just as he can do now. Probably time to stop. I'll hand back over to the guys doing the offering, I guess. Well, thanks for that.